to Mark's Madness. Hey, that level sounds a lot better than it did last time. <laughs> that sounds less uh, less god-awful than it did the yeah. last time we did this. Hi, guys. How y'all doing? Uh, we're back. It's Mark's Madness. You know, you know what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're um, figuring out um, this whole remote recording thing, and, and, and it's good. Yeah, we're... we're yeah, no, I, I, we, we, we revel in the fact that we get to see each other every week and, and, and sit down and, and break bread and, and podcast. And now we're forced to not do that. And David has to learn how to use technology. It was this wonderful and we dual all... purpose, uh, thing of, of running into, uh, a friend from, uh, you know, years and years every week consistently, but also spread Marxism. And now all we get to do is spread the Marxism. Now it's all the spreading the Marxism, yeah. and, and honestly, I'm not I'm not thrilled about it. But you know, we're here to do a job. Well, damn it. I'm thrilled and, and, about <laughs> spreading the Marxism, but you know, <laughs> we're all thrilled about spreading the Marxism. Come on, now we're in the middle of a plague for fuck's sake. Yeah. Um, and if you can't spread Marxism during a plague, well, when can you <laughs> spread it? Um, we got to find out about that. You would think. You would think the last time we had a plague was 1918, and the Russians were doing a really good job of of revolting I, at that point. But yeah, I was going to say that's not was, so much. They they at least got the revolution in right before the Spanish flu, but I'm pretty sure there was something with the the whole like uh, World War One typhoid. I'd have to look that back up. Yeah. Also, I'm with uh, I'm with tr- uh, the uh, with Alice from uh, Well, there's your problem. I want to start calling that Kansas flu because that's where it fucking originated. <laughs> we need to fucking, fucking yeah. let's be historic about this. The Spanish did nothing wrong. They just reported well, on it. God damn well, it. Well, in this case, in that case, then that's that's good because that would stop the whole China Wuhan. Uh, exactly because we have no patience. Exactly, we have no damn patience. Uh-huh. We don't know where it started. We have no patience. No idea. Could be anywhere, but we know for a fact that fucking Spanish flu or, or Kansas flu started in, in in Leavenworth. We know where it started. Yeah, I swear to God, if we have another current event, it's also going to be coronavirus because that's just that's the only way to do it right now. Oh, it's. Um, I mean, yeah, because it's the it's yeah. the cultural zeitgeist. It's the thing that'll get written about in the history books. If we don't sure. talk about it, it would seem rude. Sure, sure, sure. But- seem rude to the virus. Yeah. Yeah, I saw someone the other day point. Someone the other day was going. <laughs> we can't. I'm not going to stop going out because if I stop going out, the virus wins. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, if you die, the virus also wins. But <laughs> <laughs> oh god, this is going to be a fun one, guys. Um, Ugh. so if you're following along at home, which you should, and I'm going to start. I think I found. Because uh, for for every other book we've done, we had like a chapter something, part something, and for this one, we've just done like pay, like like part one, part two. I think I'm gonna go back and renumber before you hear this, but going forward, I think I'm just gonna list the page numbers we read that episode. Um, more as so as a shaming mechanism for us, so that we realize how little we're actually reading oh, per God. episode. Um, but we're gonna find. But that way, everyone knows exactly how many pages yeah. they're gonna get into. Yeah, yeah. You know, you could pre-read. You go, oh, they're gonna talk about this page to this page. Well, I'll read those pages, then I'll listen to the podcast. That'll be go. fun. So it'd be a fun, exciting thing we can do. Um, that I I just decided unilaterally because it's an authoritarian podcast and we make decisions that way. Um, but that being said, uh, David, do you want to start off the reading this week? Because uh, I'm sure. tired already. Yeah. Okay. I'll Good. Start off, so. Good. I need a nap. All right. So uh, starting at above this lowest mass on uh, page twenty-seven. Above this lowest mass rose a middle class of poor whites in the making. There were some small farmers who had more than a mere sustenance and yet were not large planters. They were overseers. There was a growing class of merchants who traded with the slaves and free Negroes and became in many cases larger traders. Dealing with planters for the staple crops, some poor whites rose to the professional class so that the rift between the planters and the mass of whites was partially bridged by the smaller intermediate class. 
while revolt against the dominion of planters over the poor whites was voiced by men like Helper, who called for a class struggle to destroy the planters. This was nullified by deep-rooted antagonism to the Negro. That sounds familiar. Yeah, uh (laughs) uh-huh. Whether the slave or free. If black labor could be expelled from the United States or eventually exterminated, then the fight against the planter could take place. But the poor whites and their leaders could not for a moment contemplate a fight of united white and black labor against the exploiters. Indeed, the natural leaders of the poor whites, the small farmer, the merchant, the professional man, the white mechanic and slave overseer, were bound to the planters and repelled from the slaves and even from the mass of the white laborers in two ways. First, they constituted the police patrol who could ride with the planters and now then exercise a limited force upon recalcitrant or runaway slaves. Recalcitrant? Recalcitrant. There you go. Use that fancy word. Uh, (laughs) Or runaway slaves. I got you. Thanks. And then, too, was it always a chance that they themselves might also become planters by saving money, by investment, and by the power of good luck? And the only heaven that attracted them was the life of the great southern planter. So, I mean, again, the more things change, the more they stay the same. That is exactly what fucking <laughs> cops still are. Oh, 100%. yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. Uh, there are tons and tons of poor white folks who will 100% go against their own interests the second racism is introduced, whether it's this explicit anti black racism that this country was founded on or of course anti-indigenous racism or anti-immigrant racism as you see with some even union leaders or of course uh the imperialist racism that people hold because you know as soon as the u.s decides some other country was bad uh you're just a dictator loving stooge if you don't fully jerk off to the same narratives that that doesn't change at all i mean my fucking god this stuff is exactly the same and of course you even have the detail Every American is is uh, a temporarily disaffected millionaire. They were a temporarily mm-hmm. disaffected plantation owner. Planter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's always been, it's the American dream has always been there. It's just it's yeah. always this little thing that only only a very very minute insignificant percentage of people will get. But you tell everyone they can do it, and then they spend their whole lives grinding away at it, and even working against their own self interest because they hope one day they'll be that tiny percent. Yeah, the, the American dream is getting to sit on your fat ass and actually reap the benefits of dehumanizing people for daring to look different or be poor. That's that's the American dream. Fuck the American yep. dream. All right, so there were a few weak associations with the white mechanics, such as printers and shipwrights and iron molders, in 1850 to 1860, but practically no labor movement in the South. Charles, Yep, we know that from Haywood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Charles Nordoff states that he was told by a wealthy Alabaman in 1860 that the planters in his region were determined to discontinue altogether the employment of free mechanics. On my own place, he said, I have slave carpenters, slave blacksmiths, and slave wheelwrights, and thus I am independent of free mechanics. And a, oh, good! Yeah. It's, the, oh, goody! Every sentence of this chapter just feels gross. But again, this is something we got to face, uh, both to, to see it in ourselves when we don't realize it, and to see it in the surroundings so we better understand our enemies. This is a very, very important book to read for a reason. Uh, yep. And a certain... Uh, let's, yeah, in a certain Alfred E. Matthews remarks, I have seen free white mechanics obliged to stand aside while their families were suffering for the necessaries of life when the slave mechanics owned by the rich and influential men could get plenty of work. And I have heard these... <laughs> 
Yeah. Stop. Stop. No. Stop. Right there. When the slave mechanics could get plenty of what they're oh, no. slaves. No. Yeah. I mean, this Matthews guy is a racist shithead. I, I This is burns every sentence I'm reading in this quote. Uh, but I got to finish it now. And I've heard these same white mechanics breathe the most bitter curses against the institution of slavery and the slave aristocracy. So, you know, all of a sudden, like, slavery is bad. Uh, but I don't really want to bat it that would make me actually have to compete with these slaves mm. and my interest is being above them so i'm you know i'm gonna go like like but even the whole point here they're talking about that the, the the slaves are running though this is this is literally like a they took our jobs yeah but it's slaves that took slaves. your job and it's almost the same thing right it's the same thing you see with a, a, the hatred against immigrant labor right now it's like right. Wait a minute! You're looking at a group of people that are abused, manipulated, and and forced to work in the most menial of conditions because they their the their employer has so much leverage over them that they could take their livelihood away at any moment. And you aspire to that? Yes. That's what you want to get into? Yeah. What the fuck is going on here? Something tells me the AFL CIO members are not begging for domestic labor and crop picking, but no. you better fucking believe that there's a large contingent that'll be like, oh, they're taking our jobs. You know. Yeah, I, I love, I love today because we're recording on the day that they've passed the. Uh, we're actually getting fairly current with our recording because oh. quarantine has forced us to be behind. Yeah, yeah. they passed a two trillion dollar fucking uh, uh, stimulus bill. Did they actually get and, that passed through, motherfucker? Yeah, it passed. It passed. Uh, it's going to I Trump mean, today. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, the bill explicitly excludes immigrants with. Uh, tax identification numbers from yeah. these direct payments. Yeah. So the people that absolutely are the most precarious and could use it the most will be excluded and yeah. just fuck them. Yeah. Just fuck them. Just fuck them. Just fuck them. And of course, I mean, this is the the one that had, what, there's $500 billion in, in corporate bailout. $500 billion to corporate, three fifty to small business and medical, and then 200 or 250 to personal? Yeah, yeah. It was mostly to, to, to corporate and, and then uh, and the, oh, the small yeah, business and medical. Of course it was. Come on now. Not, yeah, and the small business and medical is not like family businesses or no, independent no. contractors that file as businesses. No, um, it's you better, not. We you better bet that. that language got them all hyped up and on its side. No, the small business is like the restaurant chain owner that employs 200 people but not over 250 yeah. and, and pays every goddamn one of them three bucks an hour except the cooks that they pay seven. And they're just yeah. fucking banking on that. Yeah. It's, uh, and yeah, it's the, I think it's like 50 it's, – 50 million of that or 50 billion of that went directly billion. to like the the airlines airlines like airlines fuck i mean we're I facing think it's like 51 or 52 billion we're facing impending global warming and they could always just you know move their schedules to actually address people but they've kept empty flights flying just to keep their business up just readily jacking up global warming to service absolutely nobody and fly empty planes and total waste and total expensive resources and the reward for that is a 50 billion dollar bailout because yeah. god knows and this we is can't let in Boeing your fall they've got to make fighter jets that Whoa. can't fly oh, so it's not bomb the shit out of people well everybody oh, that buys not. boeing jets though Exactly. But here's so in your you're a couple years older than me. Yes. Yeah. But just in our lifetimes, what is this? The th- is this the third major federal bailout of the airline industry that you can remember? It's the oh, third for me. Yeah. I can remember 08. I can remember 2001. And I can remember this. Yeah. This is the third time in my lifetime that air, airlines specifically have had to get bailed out as, as an organizational entity. 
<laughs> speaking of speaking of socialists who had their economy stripped away, uh, Maduro being pulled up on drug trafficking oh charges God, now. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most- we're getting real. Oh, we're, we're we're taking advantage of the fact that everyone's worried about the virus to do this coup thing real, real hard. Yes, yes. The the biggest drug trafficker in the world is the CIA. Big time. I uh-huh. mean, probably the biggest human trafficker, and if not, it's definitely the U.S. ruling class. I mean, Epstein should make people very aware of that. Um, the the biggest drug trafficker, not even close, like you said, is this, or you said not even close, but yeah, like CIA. I said, is the CIA. Yeah. CIA. Um, and then the country that they tend to get it from is Colombia, and it's not just that it happens to be Colombia where the drug traffickers are. It's the Colombian right-wingers who are ruling and who mm-hmm. had the right-wing position throughout the entire 50 years war. And so this is a country that is basically explicitly fascist that make, had a 50-year civil war basically come to a ceasefire, not even a resolution, a ceasefire, in which all the leftists were told to give up all their guns and all the right-wing were supposed to give up their guns and that was the peace deal. And of course, the right-wing didn't fucking did that. They're, they're murdering <laughs> they the leftists don't. now. Come on now. And their fascist ass government that is diametrically opposed and right next to Venezuela is the ultimate drug trafficker. And we're supposed to fall for Maduro is a drug trafficker that needs to be caught. Like, fuck that shit. 15 15 million. 15 million for him. Jesus Christ. Yep. So if anyone knows the number to Nicholas Maduro, yeah. uh, hit me up and I will take, we will, we will start us a brewery. Pretty sure. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to get this Uh, one page today. God damn you. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Not if I have my way. The resultant revolt of the poor rights, just as the revolt of the slaves, came through migration, and their migration, instead of being restricted, was freely encouraged as a result of the poor whites left the South in large numbers. In 1860, 399,700 Virginians were living out of their native state. I hate the use of the word native there. Uh, from yeah. Tennessee, eight, 344,765 emigrated. From North Carolina, 272,606. And from South yeah. Carolina, 256,868. The majority of these had come to the Middle West, and it's quite possible that the southern states sent as many settlers to the West as the northeastern states. And while the Northeast demanded free soil, the Southerners demanded not only free soil, but the exclusion of Negroes from work and the franchise. They had a very yeah. Vivid fear of the Negro as a comp- competitor in labor, whether slave or free. So, code, they were going to work harder than I was, and I didn't like that yeah, very much. Yeah, no, don't don't give me any competition. God damn it! Um, I better. But this is America, free competition. Yeah, unless it threatens me. That is one and a quarter million people at this time. That is insane. Yeah. Just mass settlement west. And you wonder mass immigration. Yeah, and you wonder how we just completely had an expulsion of indigenous people, you know, yeah. west right after the Civil War. I mean, God Christ. And that's the same time people are at for every person that's leaving to go west, you have another person pouring in from the east, just migrating in from Europe yeah. and, and and northern northern Europe and all that. I yep. mean it's it was con- it was a constant push of just a flood of of people pushing the the indigenous people of this country west and further further west and and into into annihilation and and of course we say was um because there's not is mass i was gonna say there's not the same mass flow of migration uh there because there's not the open land to suddenly settle but the entire construction of it is still going on indigenous people are still having their land ripped away through oil pipelines and and 
broken treaties and, and police abuse and, and everything like that. So it's still very much an is, yes. Um, oh, yeah. It was thus the presence of the poor white Southerner in the West that complicated the whole free soil movement and its relation to the labor movement. While the Western pioneer was an advocate of extreme democracy and equalitarianism in his political and economic philosophy, his vote and influence did not go to strengthen the abolition democracy before, during, or even after the war. In the on the contrary, it was stopped and inhibited by the doctrine of race. The West, therefore, long stood against that democracy and industry that might have emancipated labor in the United States because it did not admit to that democracy the American citizen of Negro descent. Yes. Preach it. Yes. That's, and that's that's what it is. Is we, yeah. it, it, And this is the story. We're, we're learning this more and more, and this book is just I'm so glad we did it in the order we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is such a reinforcement of everything that, that we saw in Black Bolshevik of, well, why, how didn't we get to emancipated labor? Why were we so lagging behind even Europe in these other areas when it came to our, our labor organization? And it's white chauvinism. It's racism, flat out. Oh, 100%. If- is, the, is the root cause of all of it. Because if we had, if you were to look past that, could America have possibly, you know, have been on par with, you know, neck and neck with Germany in terms of, you know, what, what, you know, countries ready to potentially go one way or another? again? It's it's socialism, or I don't want to, you know, go too reductive. I mean, you know, socialism, barbarism, whatever. It really is. Um, it really is, and, yeah. and and we had all everyone kind of had that option in the third in the twenties and thirties. You kind of had that moment where it's like, are, are we are we going to fork this way? Or are we going to fork this way? And it was, and it was America. We, we know can't undo our racism. We've mm-hmm. we've got to rip our land from our indigenous people, and we're we've got still, to enslave our black people. And yeah, yeah, we're still we're still fighting this internal battle of we we. Well, yeah, we kind of even even if we say we want that, even if we have organizations that outwardly you know publicly say we want to go to socialism, they're still fighting these oh their own internal. You know, white. You know these battles of, of chauvinism and 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 white supremacy and things like that. That they're they're never able to to coalesce a movement of the actual working class and go forward. And this is not to be class reductionist. I, I think it's the opposite of that. It's yeah. It's it, it almost this shows why the vanguard, in my opinion, has to be people of color, indigenous people. It, it can't be a vanguard of white people because we've shown time and time again that white we're just not capable of leading that vanguard, at least in this country. It's one of those things where it's like, you can only fail so many times before I want to keep going out there. When we keep running out these fucking lily white organizations every single time and they keep falling on their fucking face, there's a reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's because we're not, we are... It, at, we're not even at our core, even at our best. We're not incorporating the voices that we think we should. These voices that we think we're speaking for, we're not actually incorporating them in the movement. We're we're fucking saying we speak for them, and then asking them to please stop saying what you actually think and go away, so we can lead this thing. And that's bullshit. It's going to fail every time. One hundred percent. We need women. We need women. We need people of color. We need we need indigenous people. We need every colony. We need those people leading this movement. And then we need to throw all of our weight behind that movement. That's and, the best thing we can do in this case. And the beautiful thing is, of course, you know, if you're led by people of color, especially black indigenous people of color, uh, there is going to be there are going to be half women. There's going to be a bunch of them that are trans yes. and other yes. forms of LGBTQ plus. You know, I mean, this yeah. is uh, it, it's a big obvious statement of what the vanguard party needs to be is it needs to be colonized people and this is exactly why because all of a sudden you know the interest is gonna creepy crawl back to 
uh, you know, oh, uh, but but we can't have those people getting it too good. And we're also going to have to deal uh-huh. with a contradiction that we – part of our whiteness is we socialize out of certain diaspora of people of color, uh, hatred of, of – the country uh, governments and countries in their own homelands too, which, oh, yeah. uh, you know, doesn't help with the whole imperialism thing. And then you get, you know, we get a communist movement, but you know, the, you get a bunch of say, you know, Asian Americans or, or of course the white Cubans, but you know, Cuban Americans saying like, Oh, I came from communism and it's evil. And that's not yeah. what the majority of Cubans are. Is there a reason, Asian- is there a reason we're not saying Guasano here? Is there a reason we're avoiding I, well, that particular designation? No, no, no. I just, I've tried to relate it to the countries directly is why. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was very, did Guasano become a slur and I didn't know about it? Cause no, I'm going to no, keep it saying not, it. It is not. No. Uh, I'm just trying to say that, you know, I'm trying to relate it back to, to the country. So this entire riff makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's a reason like the, these Cuban Americans aren't the majority of Cubans, you know, diaspora just isn't. So yeah. uh, their experiences certainly do matter. They're, you know, you can't tell them to shut up on Cuban issues, you know, because they're Cuban. But that doesn't mean come down to a man. Obviously, you know, Cuba is not going to be, a, a, you know, a, blo- a monolith. There's going to be all kinds of vibrant different views. And the ones that are diaspora are going to be more diametrically opposed. And if they're not, they're going to be socialized to be in this country. And same thing with Asian Americans, et cetera, et cetera. So you certainly have to you know, listen to people about their own homeland, but you also have to especially listen to the majority of those people. The majority of them generally going to be yeah. in the homeland. You cannot yeah. oppose a government and support the people. That is the biggest crock of shit I have ever heard. Yeah. And path of least resistance in this country, in Amer- if you want to survive in the imperial core in America, if you want to, if you want to survive, let alone thrive, if you want this vision of the American dream that you think you want, your quickest way to that, if you are an immigrant or someone from a foreign land, is to denounce your foreign land as as for all of the things that are that America says are bad about it, yeah, and pump up American propaganda. That is the quickest way. I mean, how many people have gotten Fox News jobs off of that fucking shtick alone? How many people are working for Turning Point USA so because they're willing to fucking sell out their homeland or sell out their people in order to look like the token person that America wants you. America loves a token person. Yeah. They want that because it makes them feel better. Yeah. Unless but we, it doesn't challenge anything you're thinking. And let's be very clear. Even that is not on the diaspora themselves. It's on exactly what we're talking about. It's on the Exa- white mm-hmm. politics here. It's on us. It's on us white people not yes. allowing, uh, you know, Cubans and Asians and, and I say Asian like it's another country. <laughs> Country, but you know, no, Chinese no, people, no, Vietnamese but, people, and there, there's a lot of of yeah. communist Asian countries and South Asia's America. Asia's a slightly larger area than Cuba, right? right. And, and you know, and, and South Americans and and everybody, you know, who wants to support their own company, we're a country, we're or we're drowning them out. Did you say company? I did. did you say, say company? company? Shut up. We're gonna cut. <laughs> <laughs> cut. There's an edit. We're not cutting it. God we're not cutting it. it. It stays in whether oh. you want me to or not. <laughs> Gotta do the, the the episode three Darth Vader. No. <laughs> but anyway, you know, we it's it's on us white people for drowning that yeah. out by leading the politics, yeah. and so you have to have colonized people lead the politics because colonized people are going to as a whole you know uh, understand their own interest and that's going to start especially with black and indigenous people of color and look around and and sorry i I mean i know we're getting a little bit off the text but i don't even think we're getting that far but look look around the world look around look at we we marxists always marxist leninists especially 
talk about, you know, we point, well, look at the successful revolution here. Look at the successful revolution there. They, they're all, they, they tend to be in these colonized countries. Why the fuck wouldn't we be incorporating colonized people into the vanguard of our movement? They, it, it, historically, time after time, that is the group that has led a successful revolution. Fuck yeah. I want every Haitian person I can find. I want every Vietnamese person I can find. I want all of these people at the front of my movement because we have seen time and time again that it is the colonized people and the and the history of that that colonized struggle that leads you to this this desire to want to liberate yourself and a bunch of comfortable white people in America probably don't have that same motivation no just yeah. ever 100%. we've never had that but we don't have any example do, to look back to even if you do and that's exactly why we're reading this book and that's exactly why we need the voice yeah. to speak to it and exactly why i'm so glad standing on its own regardless of black bolshevik uh but also because it ties into black bolshevik but just on its own i don't want to completely compartmentalize this into some sequel of black bolshevik especially when we no. really need to swing back and probably do a more detailed black bolshevik anyway um <sighs> don't <but> remind me <laughs> <laughs> hey, that book's good. Don't you liked it. The book was amazing. I just it was so long. I can't do this one, that one, and capital will contapsulize my entire life. <laughs> uh but that said, you know, I mean just standing on its own, that's why it's important that we're reading this book, especially yeah. this chapter. We're getting way off track. We're almost half an hour no. into this episode because this chapter this is, is just coming right off. There's there's so much I, I cannot remember a book since maybe even I mean, there's just so much here, and I think there is something to be said for it. Is our this speaks to all the the history of our country, and it hits yes. uh, that that shit hit different. If yeah. you know, I, I mean, it, it is, it is, it, it's. I feel like I can talk in this space more because, again, this is my country. It's my history. It's it's things that I am ashamed of and want to be. Aff- but I can see exactly where that mentality led to and where it forked off of. And yeah. I, I understand it in a way that I don't understand other things. And I, I feel like that's why I'm engaging with it. I don't know. I don't want to say more because I feel like I've engaged with other works equally deep. But this one, I, I don't know. There's just something We're- about it that, that hearing your own history through this lens is refreshing and invigorating in a way that we haven't gotten in some of these other works. We're, we're reading it about as fast as we read Wretched of the Earth. So... You know, we've, we've so at that rate, again, we will see you in 2022. <laughs> okay, so the northern workers were organizing and fighting industrial integration in order to gain higher wage and shorter hours. And more and more, they saw economic salvation in the rich land of the West. A Western movement of white workers and pioneers began and was paralleled by a Western movement of planters and black workers in the South. Land and more land became the cry of the southern political leader, with finally growing demand for and reopening of the African slave trade. Mm. Jesus Christ. Land, more Good. land became the cry of the peasant farmers in the north. Two forces met in Kansas, and in Kansas, civil war began. Now, again, not to take away from the incredible struggles that are more than me and Nathan have ever gone by of other people of color, but there's a reason yeah. it gets specified black, indigenous, black and indigenous people of color. Okay. Yes. Um, this last paragraph. I mean, just every other like land and more land. Oh, Never yeah. mind who got ripped off that land. Oh, by the way, maybe yeah. we should reopen the slave trade. Oh, and land and more land. And this more is land. this is the cry of the peasants. This is the downtrodden white people. Yeah. And you hear it. You you say you need to reopen the slave trade. You need to reopen the slave trade because you just evict all these people that were living on that land are gone. You need someone to work it for you. You want yeah. to be the you want to be the planter. A planter needs one person to. 30 to 100 slaves i think the average was at the time yeah um it's it's obscene and and to acknowledge to to, that's the one thing i don't i I hope it gets into it more as we go through this but this book does 
is doing a kind of weird American thing of just ignoring the fact that there were people on the land as we went through. Yeah. Well, um, oh, you know, 100%. But I, I think that's because the focus is on reconstruction and the movement. And, and, stuff. It, and it I, should be. I and I get, I don't I get know that. if among even, even black revolutionaries in America, let alone revolutionaries anywhere, Du Bois is the worst. At, I, I don't think he's really the worst at talking no. about indigenous people in America. I'm, I'm no. pretty sure he had and a even this, very good this relationship whole, with indigenous people. This whole chapter has been just, I mean, it is anything, anything we were waffling on early in the first, you know, 10 pages or so of this 750 page book. Um, uh, no, he is, he has more than, than slammed the door on that and yeah, really, really is seat. keying yeah. in. You can see exactly where it is. Yeah. All right, David, you've, you've gone for the first half hour. I'll okay. take the last half. Uh, the South was fighting for the protection and expansion of its agrarian feudalism. For the sheer existence of slavery, there must be a continual supply of fertile land, cheaper slaves, and such political power as would give the slave status full legal recognition and protection and annihilate the free Negro. Just in that first sentence right there, um, that's an encapsulation of everything we learned under capital. Why capitalism is self-destructive. That system is self-destructive. The concept of the sheer existence of slavery means a continual supply of fertile land, cheaper slaves, and political protect. That, yeah. That's not possible. Eventually, yeah. you will run out of one, if not all of those. And the concept that your entire political economic base is built upon this concept of there will always be more and I can have it is insane and you if you don't recognize that i don't know what to do at this point it's it's um, almost like an economic system built on exponential growth is not only inhumane and evil but also very very unsustainable and doomed to failure eventually doomed, on a long enough timeline it will fail yeah. period there is yeah. no way exponential growth can continue if your system does not bake in this concept of I have to be able to recycle myself over or, or reuse my resources or or live in balance with my resources, God forbid, you're doomed to fail at a certain level which and exactly, people just don't care. Which is exactly why us working class whites have to learn to get behind colonized people mm -hmm. quickly because when that failure comes, it's going to be either the people in power reaching for any bit of power that they have left by force when their system failed because they're not giving up their goddamn comfort and <laughs> this is what we call fascism typically uh, yep. or it's going to be us taking the fuck over by revolution and which one is not going to naturally magically happen by happenstance if we sit on our hands and watch how the failings pattern out just right it's going to happen because we organize and we educate and we build our own support systems to take care of each other uh, like right now when people are in uh, suffering from diseases and there's people for menial tasks or for menial tasks for menial uh, probation of violations getting shipped into Rikers, which is already inhumane conditions and overrun with coronavirus currently. Um, holy fuck, you know, I mean, we've got to be able to advocate and find a way to fight that system as physically as possible without just getting ourselves killed until that, that you know, until it becomes a martyrdom that's useful. Um, yeah. and, and of course, you know, get people soaked and communicate and understand everything in that sense. Also, I realized last episode I might have misspoke. I, I mentioned uh, prisons do need soap, and that's right. And then I mentioned homeless people. People need soap, which is true. And there are times they have access to water. Uh, homeless, houseless, goddamn it, houseless people. Houseless people uh, very much need something that the prisoners are being taken away from, and that's hand sanitizer because they don't always have yes. access to water. Uh, just throwing that in there just because I'm on the rip. Uh, but anyway, we need to get back to that. Uh, otherwise, we are going to fall to fascism and die. And that Niemöller's poem 
you know, I mean, it's Ted tends to be the American in- instinct of looking at Neil Miller's poem and going, well, I'm not a trade unionist and I'm not a communist and I'm not a Jew, so not my fucking problem. I screw the Jews and, and, and get on board with tracking them down. But the lesson of Neil Miller's poem is eventually it comes to you unless you're in the very elite ruling class. So if for some reason you're still listening to the show and you're not humane and revolutionary and determined enough to fight for the lowest of the low, if you're somehow that far this far in the show and aren't, uh, you better get there for expediency and you better get there fucking yes. fast and you better get there with humility or your expediency ain't going to mean shit game and shit yeah you got to be willing to put everybody else in front of you mm-hmm. and that's because that's going to be how it goes yeah. uh oh lord the louisiana purchase had furnished slaves and land but most of the land was in the northwest the foray into Mexico had opened an empire, but the availability of this land was partly spoiled by the loss of California to free labor. Oh, Lord, no. <laughs> this suggested a proposed expansion of slavery toward Kansas, where it involved the South in competition with white labor, a competition which endangered the slave status, encouraged slave revolt, and increased the possibility of fugitive slaves. It was a war to determine how far industry in the United States could should be carried under a system where the capitalist owns not only the nation's raw material, not only the land, but also the laborer himself, or whether the laborer was going to maintain his personal freedom and enforce it by growing political and economic independence mm-hmm. based on widespread ownership of the land. Eh, we're past the owning the land part now, yeah. but the, the, the other parts of that ring, very true. Sure, sure, sure. This brings us down to the period of the uh, Civil War. Up to the time that the war actually broke out, American labor simply refused, in the main, to envision black labor as part of its problem. Right up to the edge of the war, it was talking about the emancipation of white labor and the organization of stronger unions without saying a word, or apparently even giving a thought, to four million black slaves. Jesus God. (laughs) What the fuck? During the war, labor was resentful. Mm -hmm. Workers were forced to fight in a strife between capitalists in which they had no interest. Absolutely true. And they showed their resentment in the peculiarly human way of beating and murdering the innocent victims of it all. The black free Negroes of New York and other northern cities. While in the South, five million non-slaveholding poor white farmers and laborers sent their manhood by the thousands to fight and die for a system that had degraded them equally with the black slave. Could one imagine anything more paradoxical than this whole situation? The answer is no. No, you cannot. I, <laughs> it makes I know, no fucking sense. I know it will never, ever happen, but I'm wondering if with the whole talented 10th arc and stuff, we could somehow convince some amount of teachers to work just this chapter of this into school. Like some, I know they don't oh, even teach no. reconstruction. It's a pipe dream. But holy no. fuck, do Americans need to hear this chapter? <sighs> it's so good. This, yeah, it's so good. Um. America thus stepped forward into the blossoming of the modern age and added to the art of beauty, gift of the Renaissance, and to the freedom of belief, gift of Martin Luther and Leo X, a vision of democratic self-government. The domination of political life by the intelligent decision of free and self-sustaining men. Leo X? Yeah, this is very interesting to me that he picked... 
Yeah, but I was going a play on Martin. <laughs> it was very funny to me that there was a Martin Luther and Leo the tenth. Right uh, there was a Mar- there, I was I was making Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X pun uh, that you that you've I missed on. Bad. I whipped the shit out of that. Okay. You you that there was a whoosh. <laughs> it was a whoosh. No, yes, Leo the tenth. But yes, I. It was funny that there was a Martin Luther and then a person with an X in their surname right yeah. there. I, I wanted to play on it a little bit. Um, what an idea, and what an area for its realization. Endless land of richest fertility. It's really keep hammering home the fact that it's just there and no one's there. Um, <laughs> natural resources such as Earth seldom exhibited before. A population infinite in variety of universal gift burned in the fires of poverty and caste yearning toward the unknown god and self-reliant pioneers unafraid of man or devil it was the supreme adventure in the last great battle of the west for that human freedom which would release the human spirit from lower lust for mere meat and set it free to dream and sing And then some unjust god leaned, laughing, over the ramparts of heaven and dropped a black man in the midst. That is a fucking (laughs) sentence. Holy shit, we're reading it again. And then some unjust god leaned, laughing, over the ramparts of heaven and dropped a black man in the midst. God damn, Du Bois. It transformed the world. It turned democracy back to Roman imperialism and fascism. It restored caste and oligarchy. It replaced freedom with slavery and withdrew the name of humanity from the vast majority of human beings. But not without struggle. Not without writhing and rending of spirit and pitiable wail of lost souls. They said slavery was wrong, but not all wrong. (laughs) Slavery must perish and not simply move. God made black men, God made slavery, the will of God be done, slavery to the glory of God and black men as his servants and ours, slavery as a way to freedom, the freedom of blacks, the freedom of whites, white freedom as the goal of the world and black slavery as the path thereto, up with the white world, down with the black. Whoa! Jesus! That was a sentence to read. That was all one sentence. He put yeah. no, there no. were, there were semicolons for the record. <laughs> After almost every, when I paused, there was a semicolon, but he didn't put a fucking period in that paragraph because fuck me. That's why. Um, but that's, I mean, it, yeah. it, it it's the, it, that's the sentiment. That's it right there in a nutshell. Oh yeah. Du Bois is not here to fuck around. We've, we've been, nope. and he's, he's the thing about, we learned this a little bit when we were first starting Wretch of the Earth, and uh, we we read. I mean, of course, Fanon was like this towards the end of the book, but uh, and towards the end oh, of towards the two. and Sartre, I think was Sartre was, was like this. In the Sartre beginning. was was like that in the beginning. Is this uh, this kind of backhanded vulgarity? And and Du Bois is. I mean, he's a Harvard man. He's he's a little more well spoken. Yeah. Not the same vulgarity, but there's the same like teeth gnashing um, backhanded pompousness um, not not pompousness of voice but pompousness of what the subject he's pretending to be would say just like just like the vulgarity would be what was what was vulgar being said and being mimicked by Sartre or Fanon not that they're vulgar um, but the, it encompasses the the pompousness the dehumanization the arrogance where it's it's truly a vulgarity but it's not a vulgarity in in the sense that we think of a vulgarity it's a vulgarity in the dehumanization of people um, yeah. and it's it's right there on its face I mean he he's wearing it because if you're going to act like it, what's so bad about him saying it? You know, if, if yeah. you're going to own it, he can own it. 
and, exactly. and he's owning it to throw it in your face and make you uncomfortable. And that that yeah. was the thing. We and and be he said that God damn, you should be. He got it. He got it at the beginning. I mean, Sartre hit it very hard at the beginning of Wretched of the Earth. Is this should make you un? This is not for you. And if it's not for you, it should make you very uncomfortable. You should not enjoy this. Yes, this is not going to be for you. Yes. Um. And and Du Bois did it a little bit at the beginning, where he said, "Look, you have to view if you don't agree with my 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 basic thesis, which is black people are equal. And if you don't agree with that, we're not going to be talking the same language." Then this work is it, it should be hammering that home in uncomfortable yeah. ways because there are I'm sure there you know hashtag resistance libs of the time <laughs> that are reading this like oh well I think black people are equal and reading this going oh and and cringing and twisting in their seat a little bit and good you should you have right. to reckon with this right as does everyone in this country today you still you have to reckon with this because it is your history and and like it or not that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it very much is. And, and liberalism hasn't changed that much, where it really likes to tell itself, oh, you know, I mean, that stuff's bad. I don't like it. Um, by the way, we're just going to drone bomb a few people and, and, and murder some people with sanctions because we're doing the right thing. We're world policing. We're world policing. It's all good. You know, we're, those people are in prison, but you gotta you got to hug your cops. Violence is bad. We... We jacked up sanctions on Iran in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. <coughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And don't forget, we, Yemen hasn't stopped yet. Oh, no, 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 yeah. no. But just Iran, which was at the time one of the, I think it was China, Italy, and Iran were the three hardest hit countries before yeah. America well, wildly Italy's, passed Italy's all of them. Leapfrog the ever living shit out of it in deaths, as has Spain uh, leapfrog yeah, out of Iran. Yeah, yeah. But between the fact that Iran actually had high up government leaders dying and the fact that how early on it was, I think they were like leading in deaths at the time, or at least leading in at, deaths per capita at a time. mile. In, in America, the great beacon of supposed freedom in the world decided this is the right time that we're going to apply more political and economic pressure by increasing our sanctions on you at a time of world when everyone in the world is supposed to be coming together to fight this, this you know universal enemy of, of pandemic. And we decided this was a great time to twist the needle a little bit more on on an Iranian regime that we just have never given a chance to exist without persecution. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. Fuck off. Speaking, this is your country. Embrace of, it. Speaking of COVID nineteen, um, just to date this podcast, uh, the United States is now the first country with a hundred thousand active cases. No, no, hundred thousand was earlier today. Hundred thousand active cases of COVID-19. Like, by the time China hit 80,000... are the champions. Yeah, by, by the time, like, Italy hit 80,000, and there's 9,000 deaths there, it's horrible, and there's 10,000 recovered, there's only, like, 60 to 65,000 active. The U.S. hit 100,000 before anybody else hit 85, let alone 90,000, and we're already at 100,000 active. This country yeah, killing is... It. This country's fucking awful. If this book didn't give it away enough. All right, Nathan. There's only like two paragraphs left in it. Let's wrap up this chapter. I'm gonna. Then came this battle called Civil War, beginning in Kansas in 1854 and ending in the presidential election of 1876. 20 awful years. The slave went free, stood a brief moment in the sun, then moved back again towards slavery. 
The whole weight of America was thrown to color cast. The colored went world went down before England, France, Germany, Russia, Italy, and America. A new slavery arose. The upward moving of white labor was betrayed into wars for profit based on color caste. Democracy died, saving the hearts of black folk. Indeed, the plight of the white working class throughout the world today is directly traceable to Negro slavery in America, on which modern commerce and industry was founded, and which persisted to threaten free labor until it was partially overthrown in 1863. The resulting color caste founded and retained by capitalism was adopted, forwarded, and approved by white labor and resulted in subordination of colored labor to white profits the world over. Thus, the majority of the world's laborers, by the instance, insistence of white labor, became the basis of a system of industry which ruined democracy and showed its perfect fruit in world war and depression. And this book seeks to tell that story. <laughs> Hard pause. So that was all just a long ass intro, apparently. That was all. We just did two intense <laughs> uh, uh, you know, chapters of what is the intro. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read a little outro for us before we, we go into the end of this episode. But uh, this is this is by Percy Bl- uh, Blythe Shelley. Yeah. Have ye leisure, comfort, calm, shelter, food, love's gentle balm. Or what is ye by so dear with your pain and with your fear? The seed ye sow, another reaps. The wealth ye find, another keeps. The robes ye weave, another wears. The arms ye forge, another bears. And again, that's Perthy Blythe Shelley. Yep. And that's the how way uh, Du Bois decided to end that particular chapter. Uh, holy hell. <laughs> that was the intro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're, we're in for one, guys. It <laughs> we're in for a bit of a one it's it's gonna be a long one <laughs> it is gonna be a long one um and i i honestly i've just accepted that at this point um i i get unless we get extreme if we see in a chapter that we're about to hit a lot of uh marxist style lists and numbers and things like that we will try and avoid them as much as we can to keep the you know the the listening tight but at the same time if that was the intro i i I intend to cut none of this because that's this (laughs) this is hitting i mean way above its weight class i don't know how many times we'd read a paragraph and it was like holy shit like i mean every two three paragraphs i'm legit being hit with humility and learning stuff as as the yes. people in this podcast as we should be we're two we're two stupid black dudes reading books, uh, yep. but also you know every single paragraph or you know if it's not something we're learning it's something that reminds us of another point we come across where there's something to expound on. Um, I mean and and the thing of it is is this this podcast is good because we expound on things we tie them back we reiterate we keep people focused in a revolutionary fashion but this David, keep telling us why the po- keep keep telling me why the podcast is good please i need to keep hearing it it's just it reinforces <laughs> that said that said you know uh, the other thing this podcast is really good for is just reading the damn books because they speak for themselves and if we made no commentary if we were an audiobook every paragraph would be amazing. We could be not shit. Like it's not us that's making this great. Yeah. It's the book. This book is amazing. And it we really, we really need to keep is. it up. You need to listen to it. If you have the chance to read it on the side along with us, especially, you know, again, original goals of this podcast is 
if you have a reading group and you can read it with, with a party or an organization and we can add more to that discussion, that's the best. That's what we want. If not, and you got to read it by yourself, we're happy to be your reading group. And if we're just the way you read, whether it's a book that we're summarizing like we tried to do back in Capital or if it's a book we're going word forward like this one, if we're just the way you read, as long as we're getting the works to people, you know, we're, yes. we're doing everything we can here. And especially this this one, because I mean, everything we've read up to this point. I mean, yep. Wretched of the Earth, I think is is getting it gets its due. Yeah, it was just one I hadn't come to, but uh, I I don't I have not seen a lot. I have not seen anything other than than what we're doing right now on on Black Reconstruction well, specifically. How and this, many times do you talk to people and say, okay, what Marxist works should I do to to understand being socialist in America? And they go Black Reconstruction. Yeah, like how often does that happen? It, it doesn't. It doesn't happen all that often. From, from what, but again, that may just be my particular perspective on it too, well, because I, I, it yeah, had not yeah, been something I, that had been brought to me. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure. Again, you know, then this is where we should be led by the colonized people. I'm sure there's colonized people in this country that it's like, what book oh. should I read? And they start with Black Reconstruction, then they get around to the Marxism yeah. stuff. Exactly. Because why? Why would you not focus on your own damn history as opposed exactly. to the fucking history of a bunch of Russian dudes and the you know that that never inflected your country at all? Like it, it makes sense. Yeah. And it definitely, it definitely, like I said, it hit different. It yeah. hits. It, it is. It is a different kind of. Because again, I don't feel when when you talk about the the atrocities of the czar or something like that, I feel no attachment to that or need to defend it. But like when you talk about this country in a weird way, you you have to reckon with it in a different way because of where you live and who you are and what you deal with and, and the, you know, the kind of way you were raised and that this, that's, I don't know, this, this book is definitely doing everything I would have wanted it to do. So I, I mean, cannot, yeah. cannot hype it enough. Everybody get on this and, uh, and let's go on this fun little journey while we're all in quarantine. Also, since me and Nathan are from Missouri, I want to make a comment, especially since we kind of brought up the stupid college mascot rivalry stuff before. Uh, but also just cause we're in, from Missouri and this is important. Uh, the nuggets in this book, that can go unappreciated are pretty incredible. So he talked about the Civil War beginning in Kansas in 1854, and I don't think that's going to catch a lot of people. A lot of people think Civil War starting at the convention to secede in South Carolina in 1860. Um, and you notice the influence he has because you've heard, you know, people didn't know who the hell John, I mean, some people knew who John Brown was. Most people didn't know who the hell John Brown was until Malcolm X started talking about him, right? Um, well, you wonder why Malcolm X started talking about him and, and who probably influenced Malcolm X or who influenced who influenced Malcolm X. You know, I don't know directly if Malcolm read Du Bois or if he, you know, got this passed on. But Du Bois is talking about the Civil War starting in 1954 in Kansas. That's the border war. That's where John Brown first started yep. fighting with his militia. That's yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so and for people who don't know the border war, that was uh, Kansas and Missouri uh, fighting each other basically uh, right around. This is what drummed up the, the Kansas-Nebraska Act. But the fighting it, the fighting started in 1854. The Kansas-Nebraska Act was 1854. Uh, and that fighting didn't end until 1860. And then, of course, the secession happened. And whoops, the border war is over. Oh, by the way, we're having a civil war over the same shit. Funny how that happens. Funny how that happens. <laughs> it's uh yeah it's a thing and again we cannot endorse this book enough and that being said if you want to talk to us yep. about our endorsement of that book and you think hey you should have been reading a different book well tough we're reading this one for the next foreseeable future so deal with it <laughs> but uh but if you wanted to talk to us uh you can email us it's uh marksmadnesspod at gmail.com it's marksmadnesspod at gmail.com you can also uh tweet us we're at marksmadnesspod on twitter 
Um, DMs are open. Speaking of DMs, we're going to do this a little differently. We're doing a little, uh, uh, it's not so much a correction. It's more like an elucidation I'm going to go with on this one. Okay. Um, okay. okay. But elucidations on things that me and David didn't know. Um, and, and this one, guys, it's an OG. Coming, coming to us from from way back. Oh it's boy. Rain, Comrade Rain, oh coming boy. to us with the correction. It's been a long time since we heard Welcome. from Rain. It's been a long time since we heard. Well, I've heard from well, Rain because I'm in Discord. I mean, I, I mean from I'm us in Discord, and up, I care about talking to our people. I mean, David, us bringing her up on the Discord. Podcast. I mean, us bringing her yes. up on the podcast. I know, I know. Right. Hey, hey, Rain, how's it going? Um, but yes, uh, uh, on the the so I'll read it verbatim. The reason there was an umlaut looking mark over the second O in cooperation, cooperation? is that in the in In the past uh, the mark which is properly known as a and I'm going to pronounce it wrong I apologize diaceris d-i-a-e-r-e-s-i-s okay it was used to denote when two similar vowels were next to each other and they were both pronounced so it was just an old it was an old grammatically correct way of of writing that particular word which makes perfect sense you didn't say cooperation you would say cooperation because by by us saying you don't bleed you know you're not going to go bled by us saying cooperation, we are we are dishonoring the memory of Dr. Du Bois. And that being said, y'all know where to find us. Uh we will if you want to if you want to hit us up in real time, and by us I mean me, uh hit me up on Discord. I am yeah. in the dumb and awful Discord as first mate marks right now. Um, you know, we we're hanging out, we're doing stuff, we're streaming movies, we're watching people play boat game. Good we're doing stuff. Good things. Um and uh, good great things, awesome yeah. things. Um that that being said, David, you got anything else? Uh, I have my son in my lap. He's suddenly here when you I talk. Do- Eric, say hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, well, this that's been Eric. I'm Nathan. I'm David. Uh, all right. See you all next week. Bye. Bye.